This is Mike Wilbon from ESPN's Pardon the Interruption, and I'm speaking with Chad and Ryan on the Friendly Confines podcast. It has been, you could say, a bit of a rough week if you're a Cubs fan. A lot of familiar faces wearing unfamiliar jerseys. Uh, Speaking of unfamiliar, but I'm really excited about this. We've got a brand new co-host, guest co-host, Joey Christopoulos. How are you doing, Joey? Good Uh, to see you. Chad, great to see you. I'm coming in out of the bullpen during the most dire of times, so I'm super excited to play nine innings with you today. For those of you who don't know, I host Bet on Chicago and Believe in Bears of the Believe Podcast Network. Chad and Ryan have been on my pod. I'm now on their pod. I'm ready to get it on. We are going to have a lot to talk about. I love your energy, Joe. We're going to talk about, uh, well, the great fire sale of 2021. We're going to talk about uh, a little bit of war of words between Jed and Anthony Rizzo. Uh, we're going to talk about what I said earlier about uh, some, uh, some familiar faces in different uniforms and how... Does it make you want to throw up in your stomach? What are you excited about we're going to talk about, Joey? Uh, I want to talk prospects today. Let's look a little bit into the future, maybe look into a little bit of the present. Is there anything on this club right now that is worth watching? And then, of course, we got to talk about ownership, Ricketts, Wrigleyville, and dare I say, sports gambling at Wrigley Field. Could it happen, Chad? We're going to dive into it. All that and much, much more. Stick around. The Friendly Confines Cubs podcast starts right now. We began in the first inning, as we always do, and uh, Joey, uh, it's a week later, and uh, lots of thoughts, lots of emotions, as some people have said, kind of a glass case of emotion, uh, roller coaster. Um, how are you feeling after the great Cubs fire sale of 2021? A lot of thoughts, a lot of emotions, a lot of uh, a lot of emotional eating. I feel like I've been putting on some <laughs> carbs and some pounds recently. I don't know about you, I'm still pretty devastated it's gonna be a while where i've been having these thoughts of this is already kind of the 30 for 30 in the making of over the next 10 years or so i think we're gonna keep looking back at everything from addison russell to you know to us letting john lester out the door to trading anthony rizzo and then obviously the fire sale and i'm just absolutely still kind of devastated and kind of shaken and still can't believe that it happened and i think part of this pod today is gonna be talking about how we are gonna be picking up those pieces moving forward yeah, I, I looked at it and from every different angle, and I, I had the anger, I had the frustration. I went through all the the, the the stages of grief, I think, you know, and and when I looked at, at at what happened, the more I think about it, the more I realized this was destined to happen almost from the moment the U Darvish trade was enacted. This was set in place for this team to be able to do what they needed to do to restock their farm system and try to save some face with the fans. But unfortunately the fans aren't buying it and the fans are hurt. You know, uh, this is a newer fan base. I will share that a lot of people that are on Twitter and a lot of people have not suffered for the years and years and years. There's a lot of young fans that, that absolutely have identified only with Bryant Baez and Rizzo. And so they feel like there's been a death in the family and they feel like that the ownership is, has, has, uh, has done this to them. And, and I think, Here's my take on it. This was not a good team. This was a team that won 11 out of their last, I think, 40 games with Bryant, Bias, and Rizzo. This was not a good team. It wasn't a fun team to watch. And and if you we were saying, let's stick stick this, keep this team together, let's give them the opportunity to have their ticker tape parade and then let them leave in free agency with nothing in return, I think that'd be foolish. That's my take now. And that's a great point, too, because Jed said that if this was a winning team, he would have kept everyone on the roster, but he never constructed, I think, a winning team over the winter by trading a U Darvish and bringing in guys like Trevor Williams to make that happen, which brings us to the top of the second inning. The war of words between Jed and Anthony Rizzo. Jed, I'm going to ask you who's telling the truth on this. So Jed Hoyer came on to Chicago Sports Radio, and he said that, you know, one of the most frustrating parts of him in this era was that he wasn't able to get these extension deals done and the fact that they, the Chicago Cubs players, said that they always wanted to be Cubs for life, but Jed told them once they got and sat down at the table, they acted a different way, versus Anthony Rizzo, who says the Chicago Cubs want to have their cake and eat it too, and one of the common denominators of all this is that none of those Cubs signed those long-term extensions. So, Chad, where do you point the blame on Jed versus Rizzo? I think it was a misstep on Jed's part, and the fact that he came out the day after 
uh, Rizzo's comments. He's not going to win a war of words with Anthony Rizzo. Not a chance, especially with him kicking ass in, in, in pinstripes in New York right now. He, he's looking really foolish. I think him saying, I wish I had stopped a sentence short. So in terms of do I believe one or the other, here's what I'll say. I do believe the front office put forward extensions in front of all of them. And I think this is a business um, there was a great Instagram uh, message from our good friend, Jason Hayward, who basically was saying, I'm going to miss you, um, Rizzo, in so many words. And he says, the business is the business, get yours. And so basically he's saying, which I think is true for all of it, these three guys have an opportunity to, for the last time in their career, go make you know, lifetime generational wealth with a big deal. And why would they they would be giving up a potential for millions to stick around and have the legacy of being the face of Chicago for the rest of I mean, they have to weigh that. Do they want it? I've always said on this podcast, I'm not sure what a lot of these guys have to prove again. Like they've already done what they're going to do in Chicago. If they bring another one, it's, it's, it's never going to be as sweet as the first one. It might make more sense for them to try other things and go out to new pastures. It's going to be interesting to see if any of these actually any of the three come back and get any sort of decent deal. But I think what Jed said about how he can sleep soundly at night, I do actually believe that. I think they made um, decent opportunities offers um, for them to come back, but was it the best offer they can get in the, in the free market? No, they'd be foolish to do that on the first time around. This is a negotiation. And I keep telling fans, they have an opportunity to come back and get, if they really want these guys to come back, they can come back. They can make the offers and they can sweeten the deal once they see the counteroffer. I don't think the counteroffer ever happened. I think the irony in all this is more or less, there are no winners, but they're both correct. As in after the World Series, I do believe that the Cubs probably went to a Chris Bryan and offered him 180 to 200 million. And Chris Bryan at the time says, no, I'm the MVP. I'm looking at 250, 300. I guarantee you they might have offered Anthony Rizzo in 2017 something along the lines of the 120, 130 that he wants now. He said, no, I want to keep playing because I think I can make a little bit more and bet on myself. They did that, and what happened was the market changed. The Chicago Cubs and the way that they dealt with their finances, because let's be honest, Jed is also trying to speak half for himself and half for the organization on this one. So it's a delicate balance there, which probably causes more frustration. And now with an Anthony Rizzo, who's 32 years old, when you see a $70, $80 million contract, you're insulted. But unfortunately, maybe that's closer to what the market is now because he kind of missed the boat a little bit. I guarantee you Kyle Schwarber probably had, what, a $70 or $80 million deal sitting there on the table for him, and now he's playing on these one-year deals for $10 million. So it's just one of those things where I think both sides maybe wanted it to work, but the timing was never right. The further they pushed it off, the worse that it got the worst that the finances with the ownership got. And this is kind of now where we are. Yeah. And uh, let's not forget, I mean, Chris Bryant was making $19.5 million this last year. It's not like he was underpaid. Rizzo signed one of those early contracts where he got more guaranteed money up front, but he could have rolled the dice in arbitration and probably made more money down the path. Rizzo, by all accounts, uh, in the industry of share that he, 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 he lost out on $100 million by signing that other contract ahead of time. And now he's an aging, creaky, you know, old guy in his early 30s. I hate saying that because I know my age. Um, you know, he probably missed his chance. It's going to be interesting to see what they all get. I truly do believe that Chris Bryant's worthy of Bryce Harper money. I do believe he's worthy of $300 million. We could debate that another time. But I think his versatility and the what he has left in the tank, I think he he has that. It'll be it'll be interesting to see where all these guys come back, especially with Rizzo and, and Baez enjoying the limelight of a big market um, and they're having success there. And they're playing so, pretty good too. Playing they, pretty good. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the third inning here. And it has been. We talked about the, the emotions and everything we felt. It's interesting now, isn't it? Uh, you've got... Bryant out on the West Coast in uh, in in Giants orange. You've got Javi Baez wearing the Mets uni, and then you've got Rizzo uh, tearing it up in pinstripes for the Yankees. And uh, I've been watching a lot more team highlights from other teams instead of the Cubs. But uh, and I'm I'm rooting for the guys. How are how did you initially feel seeing those guys in different uniforms, and how are you feeling now a week later? It's like an episode of Cops or Jersey Shore. It's gross. It's disgusting. It's nauseating. I have to sit down, but I can't stop watching, Chad. I seriously cannot stop watching. The Jersey thing really hurts, especially when you see a Chris Bryant on the Jumbotron like trotting around the bases after a home run. And uh, Javi popped another home run last night. Rizzo popped another home run last night. 
for all the people out there that are like, well, all of a sudden now Rizzo's hitting the ball. If you look back in history, this is actually when Rizzo gets really cooking in August. He has great August splits typically. And it's going to hurt a whole lot, but I will tell you this. I mean, I will be watching White Sox baseball in October, hopefully, because I do root for Chicago baseball. But I also might be watching some of these other games now with some of these ex-Cubs in these lineups, whether it is the Mets, the Yankees, or the Giants. It hurts, but I have this weird car wreck vibe of I, I just want to watch right now. Yeah, it. I, I posted a, a picture of 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 Rizzo when he was doing one of those Zoom interviews where somebody took a screen cap where he was in the the Yankees uniform, and I'm like, it, this looks like some sort of some sort of proof of life hostage uh, picture video. It just didn't look right, and you're sad initially because you just know these guys in 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 the, the cubby blue you just see them and you can just associate them with them with that it it was such a wake up call i think it's such a wake up call to a lot of new fans which i talked about before you know this is how it is you know we truly are kind of rooting for laundry at the end of the day you know we're rooting for the cubbies and 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 the people that wear the cubbies and we have such a love affair with these guys I'm happy that they're all having success. I'm, I, I really am. My dream, because the Cubs are, are so flipping out of it this year and probably going to be out of it next year, I'd love to see these guys this year all find their way into their respective um, uh, ALCS and NLCS. I think that would be absolutely fantastic. Something to root for, because I don't always watch it to the very end, because I I, I mean, well, I have in the last six years, because the Cubs have been in, in the thick of it for a little bit. Um, I just think it's it's it sucks to see and um, I'm happy for him. I'm happy that this Cubs front office gave them an opportunity to go to contenders and go places where they might have an opportunity to bring another ring home. And if one of these guys can bring another ring home with their team, I'll be very happy for them. And they've always gotten a lot of love on these Cubs teams, but they're getting even love more now on these different teams. Before I go to the next inning, real quick, rank it aesthetically. Who do you who looks best in the uniform? Because I'm going Baez three, KB two. Rizzo one Baez in the Mets with the 23 just looks weird to me. I, I can't, I can't hang with that. Completely agree with you. And, and it's just not a timeless, not a timeless look. Rizzo looks like he was always made to be a Yankee, which sucks. I know it's gross. absolutely sucks. But I, I, so he is my number one, but Chris Bryant roaming the outfield, just being on the field there at Oracle in, in those classic giants colors. He really looks the part there too. So yeah, but Baez, yeah, I just, I don't like that at all. That's just gross. Moving on next to the fourth inning, or we call it the make or break inning for Zach Davies. Um, this topic here, <laughs> this topic here is let's talk about the return on some of these guys. Now we've traded Kimbrel, we've traded Rizzo, Baez, KB, a lot of prospects coming back. There's some interesting names out there like a Pete Crow Armstrong or Kevin Alcantara. Chad, just talk to us. What did you think about maybe not not the players specifically, but talk about the quantity, maybe the quality, and it seemed like they brought a little bit of a mix back, which I kind of like as well. Yeah, this podcast is not the place where we're going to break down, you know, the F war of, of like guys that you may never hear from for the next four years. That doesn't really matter. My take is I thought the front office did great. I thought that, I mean, other than going to get one more asset out of Zach Davies, which I thought was the one that I was surprised that he didn't go. Um, other than that, I thought they did an amazing job. They they were the, the Cubs improved their their rankings in the minors they have more assets now and that's what it's all about right now the the what the cubs have not had because of some of the earlier trades to try to keep them competitive with this core it, it was a depleted minor league system and they hadn't had a lot of high draft picks and they 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 gave away a lot of guys that are actually starting on other teams now i'm really happy with it i mean it it, it does a nice job of bringing in new arms both in the bullpen and potential guys that could that could maybe start every fifth day but you've got guys offensively who have had the opportunity to break through um you know you talked about uh our, our buddy armstrong i don't know if you saw the picture of him he was like he was like a cubby back in his little league days so he's like it's all meant to be i love that i mean that was a former number one pick you know first round pick so we're, we're, there's there's opportunities for this team to continue to get better and because the casual fan typically isn't really focused on what's going on in tennessee or in iowa or, or over in south bend you may not realize some of these big names that have just been added to the crew. And what's interesting is how will the Cubs development staff take benefit of this? So how will some of these pitching arms that, that were flyers um, that were higher regarded picks, how will, how will the Cubs actually, so they can develop young talent because they've really not developed young talent. 
Ian Happ is a great example of that. Albert Almora is a great example of that. Those are guys that had all the upside in the world and they never could break through. So can they do something with this newer group? What do you think? Well, I think you're hitting on something that's really important, which is the X factor of their development is, are we going to bring up these guys when they are ready? Are we, like you just said, the Ian Happ game of bring a guy up a little bit early because he's tearing it up and he has to go back down to rework his swing. We've had these questions with Albert Almora a little bit. You know, were these guys brought up too soon? Were they brought up at the right time just because a KB or Schwarber bursts on the scene and makes it happen? What I do like it, what I do like about it is the Pete Crow Armstrongs of the group. They picked up a lot of speed, and if you go onto their top prospects right now, now I think like eight or nine of our top fifteen prospects are from the Darvish trades and the stuff that we've done over the last week. So we have completely turned it over. And moving forward, when you're looking at free agency, I think if you're going to be targeting a guy like oh, I don't know, a Nick Castellanos, someone, a corner outfielder, someone building blocks at first base and third base, it is nice to have prospects that are young, that are fast, that are athletic, you know, God forbid, play some defense too as well, which I like about a a Pete Crow Armstrong kind of guy. And then you can kind of see how these guys come up. And I think those are the ways that you blend in new talent. You know, as much as you want to have an Aloy Jimenez or maybe the Kevin Alcantara is the next version of that. It's nice to have one of those guys. It, you don't want to have too many of those. So it looks like they try to go for a little bit more of less swing and miss, a little bit more athleticism. In terms of the pitchers, who knows, right? They, they all profile as either mid-rotation guys or relievers. Look, we've had problems with our bullpen the last three or four years. So if all of these prospects turn into great relievers, I am a happy man. And look, they have a lot of quantity right now. And don't forget, Cubs fans, just because we're waiting on these guys coming up and becoming stars, they also become trade assets in future deals that can also maybe help accelerate a comeback, in theory, for the Chicago Cubs. Yeah, and I think that's one of the best points. There's a really good chance some of these assets may never make it um, uh, really into the roster next year because they could be something that could be that could be tradable when the trade um, door and window key opens back up. And especially after we find out what's going to happen with the collective bargaining agreement here in the next year. So let's uh, shift on. And I always like to say this and it's not it's 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 not a brag. I'm a season ticket holder. And so I've invested. I know we've all invested, but man, I'm on this Facebook group that the Cubs put together that is just for season ticket holders. I'm really surprised what they're allowing because they have to approve all the posts. And there's a lot of anger right now. They're like, so I am not going to be able, I'm gonna, not going to be able to sell any of these. I'm, I'm, this is you, you've destroyed the entire market. And in fact, the Cubs went out to people on the season ticket list and added season ticket holders that we're going to pay for the rest of the year and going to next year. You want to know why? Because they know the walk-up sales are done and the StubHub market is going to be giveaway prices like we saw in, in 12 and 13. So here's the question for you is, is there a reason for people to still come out to Wrigley Field to tune on, tune in, to listen to Pat, to watch the the marquee network, to support this team. Is there a reason or or should should fans show their displeasure by the, you know, by by what happened in the last week by by turning their back on this team and moving on to, to the Bears? Full disclosure, I've already told myself I'm taking a couple weeks off from watching the Cubs. I need it. I'm grieving right now, so everyone just needs to give me a little bit of some space on that. Now, the the easy reaction, the gut reaction, emotional reaction is to say, no, you know, they, they've betrayed us. We need to, you know, stay away and not keep watching. But, look, I'm eventually going to start tuning in again. In terms of going to the ballpark, look, we've had a rough couple of years. So if you want to spend a beautiful day out in the sun – um, and do it safely. You can always do it. Try to do it at Wrigley Field. In terms of on the field stuff, I think there's a lot of things to take a look at, right? Ian Happ, you know, is he going to give us that six week glimpse of whether we should keep him around or not? Wilson Contreras, is he worthy of an extension? Is he going to be a guy that's going to step up in this lineup? There's a certain gentleman named Patrick Wisdom right now who's hitting the ball pretty darn good right now in this lineup. Could he at least be a piece next year moving in? Not maybe not a long term option, but. If he plays well this year, plays half well next year, you could trade a guy all of a sudden and turn that into another prospect. And you were and you and Ryan were so gracious to be on my pod recently. The main one for me personally is I want to see Justin Steele and Keegan Thompson up in this rotation, starting games, trying to give us some quality innings, and let's see what we have out of those kids. Albert Azale, rough season, right? That's a classic rookie season right there. Really bad looking record. Good start, had that blister, then all of a sudden kind of fell off the map. I want to see him finish strong. If we can walk into the offseason with one of, one of those guys, maybe two of those guys paired with an, Kyle Hendricks, all of a sudden accelerating the rebuild gets a little bit quicker down the track if you can have some young, controllable starting pitching. 
So if you're a Cubs fan, Steele, Thompson, Alzale, Hendricks, those are starts worth watching, in my opinion, and hopefully they're going to be able to succeed. Two thoughts. One is if you've been waiting to go to Wrigley because it's been it's been a little bit a little bit pricey, now's the time to go. Get on StubHub yeah. and wait to the day of and and you know the morning of and and get your tickets because you're going to be able to go to Wrigley at a, at a, at, a, at a budget. You're going to go very affordably. Um, I would even say that for the weekend series against the White Sox, you're probably going to be able to sneak in there. Actually, I think a lot more White Sox fans are going to be doing uh, sneaking in over there. There's a lot more excitement. But raise your hand if you had ever heard of Jonashue Fargus, <laughs> Frank Swindell, and Andrew Romine because those <laughs> those are those are three cornerstones of this team, and you're going to see that you're going to see a 35 year old playing a lot of shortstop for the Cubs that you never heard of really before you're, 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 you've got the situation with uh, um, a lot of guys that are having the time of their life and realizing a dream and getting extra reps. We may not see these guys again um, because it's like you said, you bring guys up too soon and it could do something to their confidence. It could just, it could, it could stunt their opportunity for growth. Let, let some of these guys in AAA finish out and try to win a title in Iowa. Right. And bring in some of these other guys. So there, there are people, if you're rooting for laundry, like we all have to now because, because the, the, the big three are gone. You've got some guys you can put your heart and soul behind, but like you, I'm not really excited about it. I, I drove up to LA yesterday and I, I I did listen to Pat for the entire trek. I listened to the Rockies again because I like that. It's soothing to me. It's fun. And I it, it's it it's not attached to outcome for me. It's it's what I do. I enjoy that as a fan. I'm gonna continue to to listen. I I, I like to listen more than watch. I'll be back at Wrigley a couple times. Um, but this is how it is, and there's nothing we can do about it. And I hate to say it. I'm really hopeful we lose two out of every three games here on out and we find our way into, you know, into the top seven picks, you know, where we can get somebody who could be that next superstar that everybody wants to wear their jersey. Oh, I'm in complete agreement there. I mean, we're back to prospecting, right? We're looking for the gold. We're digging for the gold, looking for these prospects. And who's to say maybe they do bring up a Brendan Davis September 1st and maybe give him a couple at bats because who cares at this point right now? Moving on to the sixth inning. I know what you're saying, listeners. You're saying, Chad, you're throwing Frank Schwindel at us right now. Um, so uh, we're saying check, please, on that. So my question for you, Chad, is, you know, what do you think needs to happen moving forward? I mean, the Ricketts family, they're under the magnifying glass more than ever right now. I think we're pointing more of the finger at them than probably we are at Theo and Jed. So, you know, what do you think the front office needs to do collectively moving forward to prove to you that they have a plan in place that's going to work that's going to get us back to, you know, winning baseball. I've got a lot of fingers to point at Theo. Theo mm. failed at putting the right people in place. And it goes right to the Jason Hayward trade. You know, they, they gambled big on him and that, that contract killed them in a lot of different ways. So I put a lot on them than I put on the Ricketts. The Ricketts allowed this front office to be a top five, top three, top four uh, payroll into the luxury tax over the last couple of years, not this year, which we've, we've talked about. I think we both believe this was on purpose that, that they're struggling. Here's what I think they need to do. And I think it, it seems pretty easy. Where I'm optimistic is half of, or a little bit less than half of the entire payroll um uh, what's on the books for next year is in Jason Hayward. So 23, $24 million. The rest is the rest of the crew. So if, if this Cubs front office has the ability to go out and make a splashy trade, maybe for another shortstop, go out and maybe make an offer to one, two, or three of the guys you're sad to go see leave, uh, they can go do that. They've got the flexibility for the first time since 15, 16, this is the very first time they've had the ability to go out and make a big splashy trade. They made a big trade for you, Darvish did not work well because it didn't work well. He was struggling there for a little bit, um, a little bit after coming over from the Dodgers, my favorite move. I said this when all of this happened, I've been saying this for two weeks, the best move they can make. And you're going to nod your head in agreement. I know you are go get Nick Castellanos, make that your very first pickup put him out in left field and basically say, listen, fans, we care about you. And we also know he's a winner and he's going to bring the right swagger because he's opting out of his deal with the Reds. The question is, does he want to come here? Does he want to come back? I like to point out as I share this love affair with Nick Castellanos, 
Jock Peterson played 24, 25 more games than Nick did. And we're still talking about Nick Castellanos. So go out and make that deal. And then, because he's not going to be your big money guy. He's going to be a guy that's going to be get kind of like some, some Anthony Rizzo uh, money. And then maybe bring back one of the three and then go get some other big names. And you're still going to have a lot of flexibility to make some midseason trades. That's what I want to see them do. If they try to go cheap and they try to have a, a, a mid-market to a small market payroll this year, there's going to be mass hysteria um, from the season ticket holders to the fans, to the viewers of Marquee, and it is going to give them a really black eye. They cannot do what they did in 11, 12, and 13 and expect this fan base to stick around. Again, as we, you know, as the years go by and we look back in hindsight and all this stuff, unfortunately, you're right, Jason Hayward is the poison pill that really kind of set a lot of things in motion in terms of not extending people, you know, tightening the purse strings a little bit in those, those subsequent years. In terms of the Ricketts, and and Theo and Jed and when they all came over when they all you know sat down at that press conference and they made a promise to us what I felt like the promise was is that we were going to grow homegrown talent we were going to keep that and cultivate that and then we were going to supplement it with big market acquisitions and in my personal opinion after 16 that by and large stopped outside of you Darvish's 126 million that's a lot of money folks but guess what also that's only because the market came back a little bit you know that's not exactly the top dollar offer that he was able to get I'm in agreement with you on what they need to do this offseason. I think Nick Castellanos, and heck, I would go back after Anthony Rizzo one more time because here's the deal is if you want to bring up young people and you want to blend in that prospect and all that youth and athleticism, you need building blocks. Cubs fans, look no further than on 35th Street right now when Jose Abreu has been on this White Sox team the whole time that's been terrible. They didn't trade him off. They kept it there because you're going to need those pillars in those lineups when you get good again to kind of show the kids the way a little bit. So Castellanos... Rizzo, and then I'm with you. Take a look at that Trevor Story, Marcus Simeon, Carlos Correa, Corey Seager, shortstop, you know, version. Hey, we have Ed Howard. Ed Howard, look, he's years away. You can still sign a lot of these guys for two, three, four-year deals, and those guys can still come up and still be helpful, and it can all happen at the same time. I will say that the free agent market for pitching is pretty dry. I will just say that kindly this winter, and all the big names are in their mid-30s, so that's probably not going to be someone that the Cubs are going to target. So if we can get a couple of building blocks offensively, maybe struggle a little bit more next year, 78, 80 wins, something along those lines. The year after that, we could probably get back in the market, acquire some pitching, maybe see if we have some young controllable stuff, and then maybe we're rolling again. That's probably the best way to probably engender some enthusiasm and earn the trust a little bit of some Cubs fans that, to frankly, to be honest, are very rightfully skeptical moving forward with this ownership. Hey, everybody, this is Ryan Dempster, and you're listening to Chad and Ryan on the Friendly Confines podcast. Time now for the seventh inning stretch here on the Friendly Confines. We have a terrific guest this week, so kind to join us and take some time to chat with us about his new position. You can find him on Twitter at Josh Rowich. He is the new president of the Baseball Hall of Fame. What a ring that has to it. It is Josh Rowlich joining us with probably the best backdrop we've had of a guest so far. He's doing the outdoor interview. Josh, how you doing, man? Congratulations, and thanks so much for being on the seventh inning stretch of the Friendly Confines. Thanks so much, Ryan. I'm doing great, man. You, you, you got me on an absolutely perfect weekend here in Cooperstown. I'm looking out at the lake and just had an amazing four days here and uh, just can't wait to get started. When was your official first day? Well, technically hasn't happened yet, actually. I came out this weekend mainly just to kind of shadow Jeff Eidelson, my predecessor, for the awards presentation this weekend. Um, so I was here basically four days, literally just watching. Um, I'm heading back to Arizona tomorrow, and then uh, my family and I move across country pretty soon, and we'll be uh, mid-August getting going. So this is kind of a cool uh situation to talk to you uh because first i want to talk to you obviously how this all came about that's my first question but for you know some of our listeners and josh probably doesn't even remember this but i i knew josh from a distance when he was about 20 years old at indiana university through a mutual friend and to wow. see now that josh has become the baseball hall of fame president is is a pretty cool moment to uh actually see what you've been able to accomplish, Josh. So it, it, it's pretty surreal. So first question I wanted to ask you is just kind of how this all came about for you. Um, for people that you know may not know your background, you worked on the uh, communication side with the Dodgers, with the Diamondbacks. How did it now come about for you to uh, work and become president of the Baseball Hall of Fame? We'll start there. 
Well, first of all, it's really cool. I'm excited to hear maybe off air how we how we randomly connected uh, 25 years ago. But that I think has been the coolest part of this has been um, having so many people for, that have known me for 20, 30, 40 years reaching out, and, and it is very, very cool. Um, what, it really basically came about with Jeff Idelson reaching out to me. Uh, he's the interim president right now. He was president for about 10 years, uh, from about 20, I don't know, 2009 to, to 2019, and then he retired. And when Tim Mead came out um, and, and announced he was leaving, I had heard from Jeff Idelson, who just felt like, you know, I think you might be a, a good fit for this role. And I, I've gotten to know Jeff pretty well over the years, but I can't say I ever really given a whole lot of thought to this sort of position. Um, but when you think of baseball heaven and you think of the greatest places for our sport, um, this is truly it. This is literally the Mecca, the place that everybody has on their bucket list. And so um, started really taking seriously, thinking about it, um, obviously have family considerations. My wife grew up on the East Coast, uh, not too far from here. So that was helpful. And then uh, went through the process and somehow landed the position. So to be the eighth president named in the history of this organization, when you kind of let that wash over you, what, what does that mean when you think of just what this uh, represents and what this you know organization means to the history of the game? It's it's mind blowing. I mean, I, I I can't really put into words when you think of how long this has been around and to only have had eight presidents. And um, actually, the other day they they had introduced Rob Manfred. I want to say as the tenth commissioner of baseball. And I just thought, God, that's crazy. There's there's actually been more president commissioners of baseball than presidents of the Hall of Fame. And it it really hit me yesterday. For anybody that's been here, um, they actually added a, a new movie to the theater um, a couple of years ago. It's about a twenty minute movie, and it's filled with Hall of Famers and just the stories of, of baseball. And it, I mean, to, it, it actually, it truly got me emotional. I kind of walked into the, into the theater. I sat down, I watched all these families pile in around me and I'm just sitting by myself in the back. And, and I seriously started tearing up as I was watching this thing. I'm like, I can't actually believe that this is, this is where my career has taken me. And I'm just very, very grateful and humbled by the opportunity. I think a lot of people wonder, Josh, me included, and I'm a, I'm a huge baseball fan. And I think maybe people in their minds have this kind of, uh, um, you know, overall perspective, but maybe not the 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 uh, specific view. What does the role of the president of the Baseball Hall of Fame do on a day to day basis? Well, it's been explained to me basically as three primary things. One, it's a it's a between eighty and hundred person company. So just like any other company, the president obviously is going to oversee the leadership team and provide direction and whatnot. Um, with with the board of directors really being the ones that that hired me, um, carry out their vision. So there's the company itself. From the museum to the to the shop to the admissions to the sponsorship, all the things that any company would do. Um, but then the other really important things are, are fundraising. We are a nonprofit, and so going out and finding donors who who are interested in supporting the mission of the Hall of Fame is going to be a big part of what I do. And then possibly the biggest thing is really relationships based. I think in a lot of ways that's why they wanted somebody who'd been in baseball. Um, it's interacting with the 72 living Hall of Famers and the team owners, team presidents, key people all around the league and being able to um, I'll travel to all of the major events, but really just building that sort of connection between this little village here in central New York and the other 30 cities where Major League Baseball takes place. And I guess it's not 30 cities, but 30 teams. And so those are really the main parts of the job. And um, they're all kind of equally as important, but I'm, I'm just I'm beyond excited to get going with it. Josh, do you have any input as president as far as um, voting or percentages of players getting into the hall or potentially players deserving to get into the hall? Do you have any role in that at all as president? Well, you would think from reading comments on social media that I'm like the lone soldier who gets to decide it all because I've seen a lot of people uh, who think I'm now suddenly got control over a lot. But no, ultimately, um, I think most, most people would know that the BBWA is ultimately who decides during the first 10 years of somebody's eligibility. Um, I will have a role in many ways of helping um, create the era committees and who is on the various committees that will look back, used to be referred to as the veterans committees, but um, I think I'll play a small role along with several others in terms of who the people are that will put those, um, those others into the hall down the road. Um, but no, I wouldn't say individually that any sort of significant part of my job is, is helping decide who gets in. I think that's left to far more qualified people. Just in your opinion, have you given any thought as, as we see the shift of what the numbers used to mean and what they maybe mean now comparatively um, to uh, how 
people determine get into the Hall of Fame at all compared to how it used to be maybe 30, 40 years ago to now? Is that something you think about or have given any thought to, if that makes sense? Yeah. Are you talking about numbers on the field specifically? Correct. Statistic? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. We were having a conversation a couple of nights ago with, in fact, like literally about six feet behind where I was sitting um, with, with another person from the, from the hall of fame staff and somebody from MLB. And just the fact that, that, that the way pitching has changed is going, it, it almost certainly is going to change. There's not going to be as many wins or complete games or strikeouts and all that sort of stuff, I think, will definitely be taken into account by the electorate. Um, the writers do a, an amazing job, obviously, of taking this very, very seriously. And so the, the majority of people who, once they've passed that five-year waiting period and they're on the ballot for 10 years, um, probably not likely that we're going to see a lot of 300-game winners or even 3,000 strikeout guys. It's just it's, it's the numbers in totality don't quite add up as much. And then obviously as the, as the baseball writer has changed quite a bit and you start to see people paying attention to um, just more data, I got to believe that that will be what they take into account. But part of the best part of this is that it's a democracy and everybody gets this one vote and they all, their vote all counts the same. Um, and that's how I think ultimately it should be. Let's talk about the actual museum portion of this. What ideas um, that you have going into this would you like to implement to enhance the Hall of Fame experience for visitors when they come to Cooperstown? Well, I'll put a caveat on it, on it by saying that um, I haven't been able to spend a ton of time inside the museum yet because I haven't actually started. So certainly as time goes on, I will, I'm sure I will have additional ideas. I'm going to tap into the staff who's been here for a long time to see what things they've wanted to try and maybe haven't been able to pull off yet. But I think the biggest, the biggest word that I've discussed a lot with Jane Forbes Clark is just relevance, making sure that we're staying relevant for the next generation of baseball fans. And that includes, I walked around with my son here um, for the first time about 10 days ago, and he immediately, he's 11 years old, and he immediately gravitated to the, the touch screens and make your own baseball cards. And so while the artifacts and stories and all those things are incredibly important and will be for hundreds of years to come, it's also making sure that the way that they're presented continue to be of interest to um, the next generation of baseball fan. And I literally, right before we started this, I had a, there's a, there's a thousands of kids who come every summer as part of a baseball tournament here in Cooperstown. And I just saw a full team of them swimming in the pool over, over there. And I just thought to myself, the way they're looking at this museum is totally different than the way my dad does and the way my grandfather did. Um, and so I think it's just trying to figure out what those things are and making sure that we can fund them and making sure that we're telling the stories of everything that's happened in our game. That's what it's all about. So you kind of alluded to my next question perfectly, and this is a great segue. And, and you talked about the younger generation of kids um, that may not be exposed to the, the game of baseball the way that you and I were or our parents were or our grandparents were. So with that being said, in your opinion, how do you get this younger generation? You know, you kind of talked a little bit about it, but how do you get this younger generation of kids to have that same love that someone like yourself and I and older generations have had in the past? I mean, a lot of it really is through technology. I mean, there's no question that my son experiences the game differently. Um, he's He watches YouTube nonstop, and we actually just launched a new YouTube series. I apologize, by the way. I should, I decided to do this outside, and I don't know if you can hear the lawnmower, but they're mowing the lawn here at the Otisaga. So I, I actually can, so you're good. You're good. If it's too loud, good. Um, but so, I mean, you, the new YouTube series that we launched, I think, is a big part of it um, that, that you can find on the Hall of Fame's YouTube page. It's things like video games. I mean, my son plays endless amounts of MLB The Show, and I was – it, he talks about Hall of Famers because that, that's how he sees them through through there. And he's grown to just love the game differently, probably in shorter spurts. That's one of the things that's not up to us. It's up to Major League Baseball to figure out how we continue to kind of keep our game relevant, not just the history of the game relevant, but all the various rules they're considering doing. I think those are all really important, but certainly here um, it's technology. It's that's That's what they are wanting to do. It's social media. It's making sure that we're, on the cutting edge of all of those things. Um, and with it, it takes money to do that. So we're, that's, that's in a lot of ways when you're a nonprofit, you've got to figure out how to fund those technology. But I'll, a good example actually may be um, the baseball card exhibit that's currently in the Hall of Fame. Again, if you, my son, I tried to get him into baseball cards themselves. He's, he's got a collection, but he's not into it the way I was or the way my father was. But he still thought it was really cool to look at the exhibit and then ultimately make baseball cards of himself. You walk over to the screen, you hit a button, and the next thing you know, it's email, you, you have your baseball cards emailed to you, and you're on 86 tops, and you're on 2019 tops cards. And so 
I think it's those sorts of things, many of which the hall has already started doing. I'm, I'm looking forward to just bringing a fresh perspective, um, just like anybody who would come in new anywhere, um, things that maybe either they haven't thought of or that we just have to get creative, or in a lot of cases, um, things that they have thought of that now we can try to green light and make happen. Now we're down to the home stretch, so let's go to the eighth inning. And I found this to be so interesting, Joey. Um, there wasn't a more beloved ownership than the Ricketts ownership when things started to turn around at 15 and in 16. And, and even when they, you know, they made the NLCS again in, in 17. But a lot has changed since that time. The last week has, has made um, the Ricketts uh, kind of villains in, in the Cubs fans, uh, Cubs fans' eyes. A lot of people will look at the payroll this year and say, well, that, that probably on purpose. They're, they're more concerned about their real estate holdings. They're more concerned about their other business holdings. We're not going to get into the politics of it, but the Ricketts also, um, you know, uh, has a, it's very divisive. Well, I'll just say that uh, with some of their beliefs, depending on what side of the spectrum you fall on. So, I, again, I find it so interesting. They're villains now, and in a way, the Ricketts family, the Cubs fans, can they come out of this? Are they going to have to play this up? I mean, how does this work? Well, I tell you, Chad, when I go into Wrigleyville, I love nothing more than going to my Chipotle and stopping off at my MMA gym <laughs> and having myself a really just classic quintessential Wrigleyville day. Look, there's a couple things that are going on here, in my opinion. One, the first and foremost one is no one likes change, right? I'm I'm in my mid-30s. I miss the Taco Bell. I, I miss the smell outside of Wrigleyville. I miss the 7-Eleven. I miss all the merch stands. But look, I have to also understand that some of these changes in the neighborhood are for the better, even though they are getting a little bit more expensive. They're being more accessible, a little more family-friendly. And honestly, in the long run, it's definitely going to work out. Who doesn't love to have a catch with their kid outside on, on the street? But all this is kind of attached back to the Ricketts family. Another one, too, the Marquee Network. I'm just going to say it. The transition has been bumpy, to say the least. I don't know if they necessarily know the direction or how to connect to Cubs fans to make that network really work for them on a 24-hour basis. They were really they were really building that up. It didn't really work out to this point. I think it's going to be fine, but it's been bumpy, to say the least. And then again, the last four or five years, if they're not you know talking about biblical losses or real estate or fighting with the aldermen over the rooftops, they haven't been spending a lot of money outside of Daniel Descalso. And we've had to say goodbye to a lot of important Chicago Cubs heroes. And eventually, I don't know if time is going to look back fondly upon the Ricketts when we say five or six years from now, they let John Lester walk out the door because he wanted $2 million and the other $2 million deferred. They said no thanks. They traded Anthony Rizzo after they couldn't get an extension done. They kept nobody the clock is ticking. I'd like to be optimistic and see if they can do it again. But, Chad, I would love to also hear your opinion on how do rebuilds typically go in Chicago sports history? Um, I haven't really found too many of them that have gone exceptionally well back-to-back -back consecutively. The Bulls were still on 22 years, only one Eastern Conference Finals. Maybe the Blackhawks, you could say. But, you know, the White Sox, go down the list. The Bears, every time you rebuild, this is a long, arduous, difficult process. And the Ricketts might have to wear that villain hat for a while. I think it really does matter what happens here in the offseason and the spending commitments that they make. And if they do go out there and make a run at the big three, I'm not convinced I want the big three back. Again, this team has not been very good this year. I know the pitching has, has hurt things, but the offense has been broken since 18. Even the front office said that. So for the Ricketts, I think what I need to see is them to make a commitment to be a top three because they should be a top three. Um, spending team in Major League Baseball. They need to be in the top five at all the time, at every time. Um, it's funny, like, when do the Dodgers, when do they rebuild? I mean, do they not have big contracts on, on their payroll? And yet they still, I mean, you look at that, you, you said it in an earlier inning, you know, the pitching's a little dry. It's because all the stars are Dodgers right now because the Dodgers went and got all the guys. So, you know, the Boston Red Sox are a great example of how quickly you can go from World Series winner to one of the worst teams in baseball back to one of the better teams in baseball. So if the Cubs can kind of look at, at that blueprint and have some, you know, and, and, and come back to the promised land, I don't need a World Series every year. I want a World Series championship every decade for the rest of my life. That's not too much to ask for the Chicago Cubs in a top three to top five payroll. So as long as the Ricketts, I don't care what they do in their professional holdings and their personal holdings and their real estate holdings and all the different things they're doing. As long as the money comes back 
to ensuring that Wrigley Field's there for the generations and that this team fields a competitive um, uh, team. I'm worried that next year is going to be a 2,201 loss year uh, for another draft pick. Um, and I think that is going to put them in a really bad spot. But for, if, if this team doesn't show that they're here to play like the Dodgers are here to play and the Giants are here to play and, and you know, the Yankees, they've struggled mightily, but they've paid a lot of money to struggle mightily. I want to see that from the Ricketts, but I certainly would like to see more out of Jed. Um, and if not, I think the Ricketts need to make some changes in the front office because this 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 group from Theo on down hasn't hasn't known how to be competitive since the NLCS 2017. Yes, they definitely do spend the money, but giving Tyler Chatwood $38 million doesn't necessarily scream I'm playing with the big boys. And I throw this stat out there a lot. The Yankees, last 20 seasons, zero losing seasons. The St. Louis Cardinals, I believe one. You're lo the Los Angeles Dodgers you were talking about, I believe three. Boston Red Sox, four. Braves, six. So if the Chicago Cubs want to be that franchise, that perennial consistent winner, you can't just keep dropping these 100 you know, these 100 lost seasons down on them and just seeing how it goes. Yeah. Finally, we're moving on to the ninth inning right now. Here comes the closer, and it's Tom Ricketts. He's throwing something else back at us right now. Is there one thing that could perhaps turn the tides for Tom Ricketts, and could it be gambling? Um, the city of Chicago has announced that the Chicago Cubs are planning on uh, working with, uh, sport, with uh, getting a sports book together with DraftKings, a 22,000-square-foot place to place all of your bets they're also trying to t discuss maybe getting a book or a window inside the ballpark which major league baseball is kind of pushing back on but it seems kind of inevitable chad what's your take on this evolution that uh that seems to be coming to every ballpark near you it's it's interesting if you really dig into it you know gambling and baseball has such a, a gross history with you know the black Sox scandal um to uh, pete rose you know it's it, it's kind of verboten even even consider that there's going to be something where it's allowed, but this is the future. I've always said, I don't know why baseball is so concerned about shortening the game. I've never went to a great ball game and was like, Oh man, I would wish I was home 45 minutes. If it's a good ball game, I'm watching it with gambling. They want a longer ball game. Mm -hmm. You know, imagine being at Wrigley field and having on your phone and, you know, some, some super fast connection but on your phone, being able to, to, to wager uh, uh, instead of a, a beer cup, you know, home run cup, you know, where have you ever played that where, you, you know, you pass it along, you actually be able to do that with others in the stands. You'd be able to bet on the next pitch is a breaking ball or a strike or a walker. It's going to be a single. It's going to change the dynamic and it's going to keep the interactivity um, more engaged. It's going to have people much more engaged. The purists are saying, I don't need all that stuff. I don't want all that stuff, but dirty little secret. Um, sports betting is really good for sports. And you look at the NFL, the only reason the NFL has the immense popularity it has is because of fantasy football, which there's money involved, and sports betting. Um, that is why people are glued to their couch in a lot of cases. Yes, there are people that are just lazy and watch football all day and never make a bet, but there are a lot of people that they, they, they're driven by the action. That's going to change some things around. I'm intrigued by the Cubs wanting to be on the forefront of this and going before the, the Chicago City Council to try to change some ordinances so they can have that. There's some concern that if they allow this and this freestanding sports book that's attached to Wrigley Field, that it'll somehow lessen the financial implications of this future Chicago casino that's been talked about for many, many decades. But I think it's it's coming. It's going to happen. And the fact that the Ricketts are out in front of this, we're talking about 22,000 square foot building. They want to make Wrigley Field, and they've said this with, with Gallagher Way, um, which I think is an, one of the most amazing additions to Wrigley Field. And one of the just kudos to the Ricketts for doing that. They want to make this sports book another reason why Wrigley Field is going to be a year-round uh, uh, destination. So they want that place packed 365 days a year. And there's a lot of people, I think, that are going to come to, to see what will be like a mini casino on the north side. I support it because I think it's the future. So get in front of it. Be on the forefront. Don't be left behind. We've come a long way from playing mound ball at the game. I'll tell you that much in between innings, that's for sure. And look, to be very clear, I know I know, I made some jokes about Chipotle and Wrigleyville. I was down there a couple of months ago. It is actually beautiful. And what they've done around the park and even in the bleachers area and in the right field section too, they've done a really great job. I'm going to try and be the angel and the devil on this one just a little bit here. The devil obviously is... 
the part that you kind of worry about is, you know, gambling does bring out kind of the worst in fans sometimes, especially when you have, you know, if you have the Latroy Hawkins or the Rick Aguilera's of the world coughing up ninth inning leads, you know, that can always kind of get a little dicey there in terms of the fan experience. And I know already we've had some weird little kind of bubble ups. Maybe people have just been inside for too long, but some weird kind of bubble ups in terms of fan interactions with players. The Angels side, though, and the reason why I'm probably on board for this is you hit it right on the head with fantasy sports. If you want to take someone, girlfriend, friend, uncle, whatever it is to the ball game, and maybe they're not as invested in baseball as you are, have them bet on the game. Guess what's going to happen? They are going to be cheering with you and high fiving you as hard as if they've gone to they've been season ticket holders for the last twenty years. So if you go to the window and all of a sudden you've got a little something on there for whatever, maybe an individual player or the Cubs to win, it's a great way for someone that isn't actually as an inundated or a diehard fan to really get involved in the game and bring that emotion. Uh, there's nothing better than winning a bet, so I can definitely see a scenario where it can be really, really helpful for not just uh, Cubs fans, but people that want to just go to a ball game. Yeah, my only pushback on this is, and and well, first off, I I I I, I joke with my friends that if you ever if you ever hear me just just say with all all every bit of 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 uh, just positivity that I'm gonna win a bet, go the other way. In fact, if, <laughs> if I could have like a sports book. That, that I rate like I'm 10, I'm a hundred percent confident in this bet. And they would just secretly switch the bet. I would win all those bets. I, I wish there was a way you could sign up for like, you know, you know, the against my action sort of thing. It's so, the opposite of back yeah. to the future too. Yeah. It's, it's the, the, the yeah. wrong bets. These yeah, are the, the wrong bets. So bets. I, I share that to say, I'm not a big sports better. I'm not, I'm not because I, 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 I always seem to, to suck whenever I'm really confident. My issue with this baseball is not a fun thing for me to bet because I that because you never really know on a day to day basis. You know, it's different. The football, you've got everything wrapped up into a week and you've got the players who are there and not there. So it is going to be interesting to see if, if baseball betting takes off. I know a lot of, you know, there's a lot of dire gamblers that enjoy betting on baseball. So it's not as exciting for me. It will be interesting to see how they get the in-game experience. I think they're going to improve that in a way where people, again, you bet on the, you know, what's going to be the next pitch, you know, what's going to happen, you know, with the, you know, the, the hardest ball hit that day or the longest ball. You can have all these prop bets, I think, which would be kind of fun. Um, and, and it'll be interesting to see how they do that. But, uh, yeah, if you ever want to know which way to go, ask me with who I confidently support in tonight's game, and, I, and then just go go the other way. Always go the other way. You'll never, you'll never, uh, you'll probably never lose. Chad's the best non-sharp in the biz. Or yes, like, exactly. The opposite of sharp. <laughs> Joey, what'd you think, buddy? That was that's nine innings of friendly confines uh, of Cubs podcast. Did you have a good time? Oh man, I loved it. It was an honor and pleasure to come on. I mean. You guys get some great guests, so the fact that you let me uh, pinch hit for the day and uh, get some at-bats and some swings in the box was really appreciated. Um, had a great time. A lot more to talk about with the Cubs. Even if they're going to lose a whole bunch of games, it doesn't mean it's not going to be interesting moving forward. Yeah, we're, we're sticking with it. We're going to stay with it. If, if this team loses the next uh, – goes on another 11-game lose streak, we're still going to be here. We're still going to be talking a lot of different topics. We talk much about the, the really the product on the field today, but there's so many interesting things to talk about. Joey, thank you so much for being with us here on the Friendly Confines. And for our listeners, thank you as well. That wraps it up for another edition of the Friendly Confines Cubs podcast. Uh, we will see you at the ballpark, everybody. Don't let anyone say that it's just a game For I've seen other teams and it's never the same When you're born in Chicago, you're blessed and you're healed The first time you walk into Wrigley Hi, this is Marv Levy, and you're listening to Ryan and Chad on Friendly Confines. Hi, this is Andre Dawson, and you're listening to Ryan and Chad on the Friendly Confines podcast.